The cube speaks of the foundation of creation, of life engaging in creation, whereas the symbolism of the sphere is only limited by the imagination. In its absolute sense, the sphere contains all things and must therefore represent the divine. Symbolically speaking, creation may be considered as a cube within a sphere, whereas the perfect form of the sphere represents the presence of the infinite light within which creation takes place. Thus the symmetrical form of the cube describes creation in the context of space-time. The often quoted, God is a circle whose centre is everywhere, and whose circumference is nowhere, has been attributed to many authors spanning millennia, including, for instance, Hermes Trismegistus. The significance of this statement lies not so much in who wrote it, that we shall never know for certain, but what was written, which describes an all-encompassing something we call God that embraces all that is and all that ever will be, and is represented symbolically by the three-dimensional circle we call the sphere. Some believe that it derives from the Greeks, originating in Alexandria in the 4th or 5th century and transmitted to the West via Arab intermediaries. Others think it a fragment of Aristotle's lost book on philosophy, whilst some attribute the text to Hermes Trismegistus, and it is often listed as such in medieval Hermetica. One example being the book of the 24 philosophers, an influential Latin text whose origins are unknown that was circulating in 12th century Europe. Because of its all-encompassing nature, the sphere suggests completeness, unity and equality. It is then a symbol of the cosmos and the totality of all. The people of the Greco-Roman world often referred to the sphere as the monad, from the Greek root monas, meaning oneness. As monad, it describes the first, the seed, the essence, the builder, the foundation, the space producer, the immutable truth and destiny. In short, it defines an active creator who is life itself, the very essence of sentience. Laboring this point for a little while longer, the maxim referred to above engages the mind in reflecting upon the conundrum it represents. In truth, the answer lies not in solving a theological or indeed a geometrical puzzle, but in understanding what is described, an unimaginable sphere. But of what? In different places and by different people, it has been described as a sphere of infinite light. What is suggested by this enigmatic statement is that within a sphere of infinite light, the creation and all things within it emerge and continue to emerge. Is it really a sphere? Is it made of light? Who knows? Who could possibly say? But one simple explanation is that the mind of man, in trying to answer the world's greatest riddle, conceived the notion of a sphere, the most perfect of forms, consisting of light, the purest substance known, giving birth to creation, with consciousness as its primary nature, which all things within it share to a greater or lesser degree. We may be forgiven for thinking the light referred to is the radiant energy we receive from the sun. However, that radiant energy we know by the senses, amazing and beautiful as it may be, is only an analogue of the light I referred to. The following text, 
from the first chapter of the Gospel of John outlines what is forever a puzzle to the carnal mind. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John 1 verses 1 to 5 Among several interconnected mysteries alluded to here, John refers to life and light as being synonymous, that they are, from a human perspective, the same thing. How then do we reconcile our own fragile nature with that of light? Perhaps we need to consider our own very human nature as an analogue of light. We might think, for example, that the energy of the sun pours out into space as particles of electromagnetic energy, called photons, that each singular photon that enters the gravitational field of Earth draws to itself matter and begins an evolutionary journey back to its source. Such a view would be a materialistic viewpoint, but when considered in spiritual terms, that photon of light is a conscious entity, a living soul, that will endeavour to return to its source, which is God. Curiously, when we are born on this earth, into the body of flesh, we start as creatures of sense and feeling, living the life of all mortal creatures, being impulsive and reactive as we engage in the like-dislike process of survival. Our success is defined by acquisition, not just any acquisition, but the acquisition of resources that are clear and obvious signs of health, wealth and power. It is then an instinctive impulse that naturally seeks to secure a good position in life, and our reasoning powers and logical abilities serve it and are shaped by it. The modern world, defined and shaped by science, technology and politics, is nothing more than an expression of our instinct to survive. We are, after all, mortal, subject to decay, and ultimately, at least, physically subject to death. And clearly, we are born in ignorance. As we grow, we slowly learn about the laws of nature and through them about creation. If we are lucky, we may learn from our elders that we have a soul that is immortal and destined for a glorious future. That is, if we can rise above the material limitations of the physical and very carnal world. This implies an infinite memory bank. I'm thinking of the Akashic Records, for example, suggesting that even though we were born in ignorance, this does not mean that we were always ignorant. Plato refers to this in his book Mino, and I quote, The soul, then, as being immortal, and having been born again many times, and having seen all things that exist, whether in this world or in the world below, has knowledge of them all, and it is no wonder that she should be able to call to remembrance all that she ever knew about virtue and about everything. For as all nature is akin, and the soul has learned all things, there is no difficulty in a soul eliciting out of a single recollection all the rest. End quote from Mino 1c. Whether one agrees with the concept of immortality or not, it's not the point here. 
What is significant is that the idea of immortality is life-changing in that it allows the mind to engage and consider that the possibility of such a notion may be true. However, our normal faculties, the five senses in conjunction with our capacity to reason, can go no further than presenting us with the proposition. The same applies to Plato's concept of recollection. Consequently, the superb assets of reasoning and logic, rather than being assets in the work, may become impediments to the soul's ability to make progress on this journey. Thus another path must be found, and that path is the path of spiritual evolution. The notion of evolution is relatively new to our society, but it's not a new idea in principle. Indeed, the entire basis and fabric of the spiritual life rests upon it. It is taught in the silence of the cloisters that we are creatures of light, and that our existence here upon earth is to reveal and to unfold the divine image that resides within us. However, like any seed, be it of a tree, a shrub, a creature, such as a mouse, a fish or a human, contains a biological trigger that must be activated. Ask yourself this question. What does any seed require to develop? I'm not asking you to list what is necessary for life, such as a mate, water, food, warmth, etc. I'm asking, what do you think a seed needs to develop? Reasoning and logic would naturally inform you that a mate, water, food and warmth serve a purpose within creation, where survival seems to depend upon the instincts of like and dislike. Few people like pain, and most people like pleasure. Thus hot, cold, health, sickness, cruelty, kindness, beauty and ugliness are all binaries that fit under the like-dislike banner. But although they may serve the initial purpose of survival, they can only serve the ultimate purpose of evolution indirectly. What is essential is light, which is interesting and in many ways strange, because it is universal and omnipresent. It is also a synonym of life, consciousness, being and love, and is therefore omnipresent and conscious, which from a human perspective must embody wisdom and understanding. If there is a quality that stands out from the rest, it is that light is love. It is empathic. What is also strange about it is that being omnipresent and conscious, it does not need to conform to established reason, which is a function of mind in space-time and is inevitably rooted in past events, because the primary tool of reason is logic, which can only analyse that which has already happened, and as such it is a left-brain function, a function that dominates our experience in the world. Love, on the other hand, is a tool in the shape of empathy that has no barriers, being open to experience and encounter without judgment or caution. It transcends nature and form, being of the substance of light, and there is nowhere love cannot exist. As I understand it, the objective of the soul is to transform our lower, bestial nature into our higher spiritual nature, to which the terms first and second Adam have been applied. See 1 Corinthians chapter 15. However, in our current state of evolution, 
it is clear that the unbalanced and out-of-control forces of love and reason dominate our world. It is my understanding that in this world, love and reason must be used in conjunction with wisdom and understanding if we are to succeed. Thus the question asked earlier, what does any seed require to develop, is then more subtle than we might at first suppose. Given the analogue of the photon of light, representing the soul being used here, we must consider its primary evolutionary purpose, which is to become, and that takes place through magic. A magic involves the movement of light with the divine purpose in mind, the creation of a body of light. As children of the world, we instinctively play with the materials of the world, sand, water, stone, bricks, and all such things, and learn thereby how to handle the things of the world. So as children of the light, we must play with light. We must engage with light and work with it, to become familiar with it and to adjust to its ways. Why we should do this, in human terms, is a mystery. The desire to create such a body emerges first and foremost as restlessness, an irrepressible biological need for something that must be fulfilled. But in truth, the need is inspiration, deriving from the source of all being we call God. Such inspiration emerges in the soul over time, much in the way a plant will only flower and seed when it has sufficiently developed. Creating a body of light involves great labour and responsibility. What is more, it can only be undertaken with divine agreement, without which nothing of any benefit or value will be achieved. This magnum opus requires the involvement of the whole chemistry of consciousness, that is thought, feeling and image, under the control of a will spiritualized by frequent prayer and meditation, and refined by the study of the spiritual teachings and disciplines of the world. The work takes place in stages. Stage 1 requires that we develop an awareness of the instinctive animal nature, its constituents, influences and dynamics. For example, our senses, the chemistry of the body, our hormones, etc. Stage 2 requires that we develop an awareness of the realm of mind and its chemistry, our thoughts, feelings and images. And stage 3 requires that we become conscious of the presence of the spiritual nature, which is an ongoing process. Stage 4 requires that we develop a spiritual habitus based upon an evolving understanding of our spiritual nature. Stage 5 requires that we learn various disciplines, including ritual, prayer and meditation, visualization and concentration. Stage 6 requires that we study the spiritual teachings of the world, both ancient and modern, with special regard to the Judeo-Christian spiritual teachings. What do these exercises have to do with light? The term light is synonymous with life, being and consciousness. On earth, life is bestial, experienced only through the medium of the body and the senses. Furthermore, the initial mode of our life on earth lies in fulfilling the needs of the flesh. Life as we know it in the flesh was described in ancient times as being sublunary, because among other things, the moon receives its light or life from the sun, which in analogical terms suggests our sensory life in the body is a pale reflection of reality. Stage 1. 
thus changing our habitus, stages two and three, and modifying our behavior based upon an evolving understanding of our spiritual nature, stage four, conforms our carnal life to a spiritual mode of being, stage five. Inevitably, transcending the sublunary world takes place gradually. Its gravitational pull is immense, and only by a persistent effort of will and an evolving understanding through study and practicing various spiritual disciplines such as prayer and meditation are we able to succeed. Thank you.